Hello and welcome back to our lovely, lovely Castle Rock Critical listeners. We have returned. We have had a little hiatus over Christmas. I know we said we might release something in January, but we are releasing stuff now, so don't worry. And we've returned to continue with our Stephen King retrospective as we await the return, the long-awaited return of Castle Rock Season 2 on Hulu. We promised you a good one before Christmas, and this is what we are covering, The Shining. Woo! Arguably the greatest film adaptation of Stephen King. At least it's the scariest one for sure. Today, I'm joined by someone who actually looks a little like Shelley Duvall, our very own Emma. Hi, I don't know how to take that, I, um, but I, thanks. You look, you know, quite manic and crazed at times, so, you know. That is true, actually, I'll take it. Very yeah. true, Hi, especially after a bottle of wine. Also, um, you know, we've got our own little Danny Torrance and Gaz. Oh, there we go. Well, that was unpredictable, wasn't it? See, you could have been clever and said mm. that I look like Shelley Duvall, but yeah. no, you no, ruined you your opportunity. Went for the little well, I don't. short, useless one. I guess that kind of makes me Jack Torrance. However, it's a shame that John isn't here. Um, that role seems so perfect for him. Anyway, it's good to be back. Now, um, let's start with our traditional blueberry rating system and of course everyone who listens to us all the time i'm sorry we're going to tell you the way it works it's between zero and five blueberries five being the best zero being the worst there can be no halves harsh but fair scale yada 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 and i want overall thoughts on the film and m you can also blueberry the book too but i'm going to start with our little buddy danny torrance over there in australia you know um Give me your thoughts on The Shining. You were very eager to be in this podcast. You didn't want to miss this one. Let me know why, please. I didn't want to miss this one because I am so sick of doing rubbish Stephen King yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what we've done. Um, so thank you very much for put, for picking something that is actually undoubtedly an absolute classic. This is mm. this is one of my favourite films of all time. I yeah. reckon. This is Fair play. It's, it's, I often say I think it's my favourite horror film. Mm. And as somebody who... I often talk about like the atmosphere that a film creates and this is just like the, the archetypal atmospheric movie. Mm. It's, it's just perfect. It's a small... Horror films, they, they work best when there is a small cast of people to think about. Yeah. They work best when, um, you know, the horror is really in kind of is is human and mm. and real it's almost um, intimate isn't it and i think when you've got such a small cast like it does have a massive yeah. impact it's very intimate in such a yeah. large space which i find is, yes. is is the thing that's quite unnerving in a way yeah absolutely and you've got and and they nail the uh, the setting is is a huge part of it as well it's mm. almost like a character in itself 100 percent um and that that element of isolation and being cut off from from everyone else, um, uh, 
Man, I love it. I absolutely love it. And the the slow descent into madness. We we could we could talk about the slow descent into madness a bit later because I'm sure Emma will have some comments from the book perspective on that. Yeah. Um, mm. What's your bloobs? Blue, um, it's a five blueberry. It's a five blue. Um, I mean, we knew that was coming. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, Excellent yeah, no stuff. doubt it's five bloobs. Emma, let's go. I want film bloob, book bloob. Okay. Um, so I just very recently rewatched The Shining for the first time uh, in a number of years. Mm. And I read the book for the first time last August, September time when I was away on holiday. Don't read that when you're away on holiday on your own. Very terrifying. Weird um, book to read on holiday, really. Well, you know, I was doing research for Castle Rock Critical. <laughs> Fair play. Dedicated Relaxing. to mm. the cause. Um, but I have to admit, there is, there is a reason why The Shining is a lot of people's favourite horror movie of all time. Because it is fantastic um you know Gaz you're right about all of those things and one of the things you mentioned um or both of you guys said is about the the size of the setting and um you know being a character in itself the Overlook Hotel which is something that you get a lot more in the book than you do in the film and, and I'll talk about that a bit more later um purely because I love the book so much and p- please no one shout at me I'm gonna give the film a four blueberries out of yeah, five yeah that's fine because it's you do bloody what you great want. Thank, thank you, guys. Mm, we've come back into this new year refreshed. We will stop abusing you. We will stop abusing you verbally on this podcast. No, I have decided. New year, new me. I want the Lentatorship yeah. back. Well, Lentatorship's on its way back, I'm sure. As the year progresses, it will come back. You know, not having John on your shoulder is also is a reason to be cheerful at the moment because he won't be shouting at you for saying four blueberries. That is true. That is very true. Um, although, you know, I will say that the book for me, Five Blueberries, mm. um, absolutely fantastic. It's one of one of my favourite Stephen King books now, actually, having read it what, six months ago. It is a very different story mm. um, in a lot of respects to the film. I mean, obviously, um, Stephen King famously is not a fan. Yes, we're going to talk about adaptation. that a bit later. Um, and I understand why, because the book is, is quite different and, and the way that something like this plays out in a novel is, is very different. However, um, they both have both have great uh, positives to them and, and the film is still a classic. Absolute classic. Stanley Kubrick, the main man for this. And this, you know, I think he came off the back of like a failed directorial um effort i can't remember what the film was but this was a bit of a punt for him uh, and we'll talk later on quite interestingly as emma just alluded to there to the creative differences between stephen king and stanley kubrick a bit later on but for me for what kubrick did with this film is it's a cinematic masterpiece uh, it's revolutionary to the horror and psychological thriller genre uh, the use of the score coupled with like we said the intimate cast the uh, you know expansive set that they had to play with here um, and Kubrick's imaginative di- imaginative direction plus you've got to factor in you know Jack Nich- Nicholson's superb acting and Shelley Duvall to an extent I know she gets a lot of stick but mm-hmm. apparently she was pushed to the absolute limits um, on this film so there's a lot there was a lot going on you know if a lot of people have seen these famous scenes of you know Jack Nicholson warming up for some of these scenes that he was um that in itself is terrifying yeah i mean the warm up stuff that he was doing <laughs> is genuinely terrifying so for me it's one of my all time favorite films like you guys i watch it you know probably at least two or three times a year because it's just one of the best horror films ever made excessive man it is but you know i love it so five blueberries for me a pretty high praise from us and i think it's time we jump into not the plot point 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 but i think we we go through it and we discuss the parts we like we discuss the book differences and we discuss what they could have done better if anything at all but before we do that nothing a quick advert (laughs) 
Hello, Castle Rock Critical listeners. It's our first advert of the new year. Happy New Year to you all. And we want this to be the best year for Fan Critical and Castle Rock Critical as a team. So what we would ask you to do is please, if you are enjoying this and listening, please do subscribe to either Castle Rock Critical or Fan Critical. You can find us on you know any podcast app, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. And we do genuinely love feedback from you guys. So if you want to let us know any of your thoughts on any of the Stephen King material or anything that we cover on the Fan Critical channel, please do email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com or alternatively, get in touch with us on our social channels, Instagram, fan underscore critical, Twitter at fancriticalpod. And on Facebook, we're just fancritical. Search for us. You'll see our little 8-bit characters and just, you know, join the little group there. Basically, we want this to be the best year ever for Fan Critical. We've got some very exciting announcements coming up in the next few weeks. Um, until that time, subscriptions are all all good for us. So thanks for your support. And let's get into the plot of The Shining. As is tradition, I have scoured the internet and, of course, Wikipedia for the plot synopsis. Although, for once, I don't really need it, as I've seen it so many times. But here we go. And as we go, Emma, let's stop and discuss the book differences. So feel free to jump in at any point and we can go through the book differences, okay? Gareth, you're not allowed to say anything. Okay, so Jack... <laughs> I will raise my hand. Red rum. Red rum. Yes, very much in character. Well done, Gareth. Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, arrives at the mountain-isolated Overlook Hotel, far from town, to be interviewed for the position of winter caretaker. Once hired, former teacher Jack plans to use the hotel's solitude to write... The hotel, built on the site of a Native American burial ground, closes during the snowed-in months. Emma's put her hand up. What would you like to say, Emma? I was going to ask if um, if anyone knows why uh, Jack is no longer a teacher. I'm going to say no. Gas? I'm going to say he axe-murdered some kids. Ah. Well, not, not far off, actually. He got sacked because he punched a kid when he lost his temper. <laughs> So already got anger issues. Yeah. Already got anger issues. So he's a bit of a loose, bit of a loose unit from the start, isn't he? Like Mm. you can tell he's not. Like people say, like he he went crazy when he went to the Overlook. But let's be fair, he's a bit of a dick to start with. Well, Mm. in the film, he's much more um, crazy to start off with than he is in the book. In the book, it is a a much longer descent into madness, whereas Jack Mm -hmm. Nicholson is batshit anyway. Yeah, you could tell something's up with that guy. You're right. So from your perspective, them slightly different. I think that's what, you know, Stephen King was slightly annoyed at as well. Mm. Um, The fact that it was this gradual descent in the book and obviously it's quite, you know, straight away we see there's something wrong with Jack Nicholson's mind. Manager Stuart Allman tells Jack about the hotel's history since its 1907 construction, but he warns him about his deceiving reputation from a tragedy in the winter of 1970 where a previous caretaker, Charles Grady, supposedly developed cabin fever and killed his family, wife and two daughters, and himself. Despite the creepy story, Jack is impressed with the hotel and is excited when he gets the job. Okay, anything to add, Emma? You were shaking your head in uh, disapproval already. Oh, no, I was just shaking my head at the idea that cabin <laughs> fever makes you murderous. Um, it, pretty spot on, to be mm, fair, in terms of Because you've got cabin fever quite a lot, haven't you? You're sort of locked in here, you Look, know. don't talk about the bodies in the garden. Mm, well, you just, you know, you just got a new cat, so... She's fine. Yeah. She's fine. It's companionship, really. Yeah, you know. that's all I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. Dead bodies don't talk. Uh, so, you know, quite creepy. Quite creepy, isn't it, Gareth, to start off with? You know, this, this story about, you know, axe murdering. I mean, would you oh, go yeah. and work in the 
I mean, I have a fear, personally, mm. of axe large... Heights. A, a, well, axe murders for one. And heights. sort of And heights, yes, very good. Don't tell everyone what my fears are. <laughs> Spider boy. But um, <laughs> large open spaces, like, of just emptiness, that's, that kind of creeps is, you know creeps me out a little bit, you know? It's, it's sort of like... Um... You're also scared of bees. Don't don't forget that. Wow. Um, wasps. It's sort maybe. of like oh, wasps are awesome. you were terrified of bees. Um, it's also like it's like the opposite of claustrophobic. Yeah, being claustrophobic, isn't it? It's like um, cl- when when you've got like a nice tight little area, sometimes that's cozy. But this is it's too overwhelming. Well, I'm just saying I wouldn't take the job. Oh, I, definitely I, not. I definitely not take. So that job. hold on, you wouldn't take the job because it's. It's just massive Spacious. and empty. That just freaks me out. <laughs> it's an isolated giant the, hotel where the last The axe murdering bit's fine. It's the, it's the large halls and, <laughs> no. you know, scary. Anyway, in Boulder, Jack's son, Danny Torrance, played by Gareth Evans, has a terrifying premonition <laughs> about the hotel, viewing a cascade of blood emerging from an elevator door and then falls into a trance. Jack's wife, Wendy, tells a doctor that Danny has an imaginary friend named Tony and that Jack has given up drinking because he dislocated Danny's shoulder following a binge. Discuss. Mate, I mean, that's rough, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, book that happens as well, dislocating the shoulder. Yeah, um, slightly different uh, scenarios. So they go to a doctor yeah. and it's it's Jack or, or Johnny um, who tells the doctor that he did it. Um, mainly the awful bit is the imaginary friend. Why is Tony talking through a finger? I know. Well, what to- the fuck is that? Tony is terrifying. Um, in, in the never, book? I've never had an imaginary friend. I have to say, I'm not one of those kids. I've never <laughs> had one. If you have had one, please let at us know at fancriticalpodcast.gmail.com. Who's this Gareth but, um, that you keep talking about, though? Because I don't think he's real. That would be some sort of M. Night Shyamalan yeah. sort of stuff if Gareth turned out to be a ghost. And uh, if you are interested in M. Night Shyamalan, do go check out our Glass podcast, which we released this week. <sighs> No. Nice. Seamless promotion. Flawless, that. Seamless, yeah. seamless plug. Um, did you have an imaginary friend, Gaz? Um, just Len. Um, no. but did, what Wait, would, are what? you both my imaginary friends? And seriously, <laughs> if I turned out to be imaginary, I don't know what I'm thinking right now. That is it's scary. All a bit it's, it's all gone a bit introverted. Oh my God, when your imaginary friend has an imaginary friend themselves. And it's you. It's Inception. And it's you. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Tony's- As the family does, the family moves into the hotel on closing day <laughs> and is given a tour. Head chef Dick Halloran, great name, surprises Danny by telepathically offering him ice cream. Halloran explains to Danny that he and his grandmother shared this telepathic ability, which he calls the shining. Danny asks if there is anything to be afraid of in the hotel, particularly room 237. Halloran tells Danny that the hotel has a shine to it, along with many memories, not all of which are good. He also tells Danny to stay away from room 237. I've got a, uh, I've got a book fact for you here. Ooh. From a boy can I tell in it? the book, interestingly. Yeah, can, you tell yeah. it, because it's yeah, probably different I, to mine. I just know this thing, because it's, um, it's, it's 217 in yes. the book, yes. isn't it? And why did they change it, Gareth? The hotel that it was being filmed at. Yeah. Didn't they? They didn't have a room two three seven, but they did have a room two one seven because they didn't want guests to like ask to avoid two one seven. But I think that's a terrible missed opportunity. Just not, Don't you think? Like I'd pay for that. Lots I'd of people stay in that room. Yes, agreed. So many people would want to stay there. It's like the murder B and B. 
and the murder BNB. Exactly. So I think this is a good time to bring in Castle Rock stuff, which is quite fun because we haven't been able to talk about Castle Rock really for a long time as a group. I miss um, it. I do miss it very much so. And, and you know, just mm. mentioning the murder B&B from episode, I think it was episode seven or eight of Castle Rock season one, which was a great little addition, you know, with our weird new characters moving into the town of Castle Rock. And the main thing that we were always talking about with The Shining in relation to Castle Rock was Molly, right? Mm. And how... Molly had this ability that we believe to be the shine, essentially. And, and we're pretty certain that that is what she had, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the way it's described and, you know, these visions and she was having visions and she was also telepathic, you know. So nice to talk about that, finally to get a bit of Castle Rock stuff involved because it hasn't been on for a while. No, it's been too long. Oh, can I talk a bit about the shine? You can. Um, well, I'm going to talk about Dick, actually. Ooh. Dick Halloran, not just Dick. Oh, um, <laughs> my writer's back. <laughs> um, so Dick Halloran is a really important character in the book, and that bit where he, you know, starts to chat with with Danny telepathically, um, telepathically, because they have both have the shine. In the book, it's much more dramatic because Dick is almost like knocked off his feet by it because Danny's shine or his shining is so strong; it's the strongest he's ever seen. Mm. He's like the Luke. Uh, he's like the uh, Anakin Skywalker of the shine. Yeah, that, spot on, mate. That's Excellent. a great analogy. Good. Um, uh, but but that has a lot more of an impact, and there's quite a long period of time before everyone leaves where yes. Dick and Danny spend some time together. Yeah. Um, and their relationship's really important, which I won't give any spoilers for the rest oh. of it, um, but it is important later on after the effects, uh, the effects, the... Uh, the activities at the Overlook Hotel. Mm, activities, very interesting activities. Mm. A month passes while Jack's writing goes nowhere. Danny and Wendy explore the hotel's hedge maze and Halloran goes to Florida. Wendy learns that the phone lines are out due to the heavy snowfall and Danny has frightening visions. Jack, increasingly frustrated, as you would be if you're still not writing anything, starts behaving strangely and becomes prone to violent outbursts. So, um, in the film, he's allegedly writing a novel, right? Yeah, he's trying to write a novel, correct. Um, and we'll talk about what he's actually writing later on. Mm. Um, in, in the book, he starts writing a novel and then he gets serious writer's block and he gives up. But it's largely um, instigated because he ends up going into the like basement boiler room. Yeah. And he finds an old scrapbook about the history yeah. of the Overlook Hotel. Okay. So, what he actually starts writing... Is um is basically a history of the hotel itself, which is interesting, which is really interesting, and also can attribute itself to his descent into this madness of the hotel overtaking him yeah. as as an individual, rather than it sort of just slowly winding him in via the the ballroom. And yeah, and exactly, and because he is kind of engrossed in the history of the hotel, he's more susceptible to the things that he may see or things that are being nudged in his yes. direction, such as Grady and the barman and things like that. And him going down to the boiler room is that initiated by any sort of supernatural event, or is it just him exploring? No, I, not that's not really hinted at. Mass- Massively in the book, um, it's just him exploring. But I, I think that, and this will make more sense as I start to kind of interject a lot, you know, further on. It makes sense as to why certain things happen differently in the book mm. as to what they happen, how they happen in the film, what they happen. Fucking mm. hell. Good. Yes, the wine is taking effect. You bought it. I uh, did. Danny's curiosity about room two three seven overcomes him when he sees the room's door open. Later, Wendy finds Jack screaming during a nightmare, and that is terrifying. Can we just stop there? The outbursts that, you know, Jack Nicholson has in this film, they freak me out. Oh, mate, it's... um... Like when we used to have sleepovers and I used to have night terrors. He doesn't remember that, he's not real. (laughs) Good point. Um, But this is is 
the thing is it only works because they're because it's such a small group because it's such yeah, a small cast exactly and because they're so isolated that's you need all of that to come together for something like that to work because you know in reality when when we had a sleepover and you started screaming i'll yeah. just run to my dad and say right yeah dad can i sleep in your room please kick out, kick out that men, kick out that mental weird. one yeah exactly yeah. uh after she awakens him Jack says he dreamed that he killed her and Danny. Danny arrives and is visibly traumatised with a bruise on his neck, causing Wendy to accuse Jack of abusing him. Again? Sim- again. So let's talk about that. It's not like he's not got form here. So mm. in the film, it's left open to... Well, it's not left open to interpretation at all. It's super. It's a supernatural event that's caused that bruise. It's the woman. It's the woman that's caused that bruise on his, his, his neck. Obviously, if you're Shelley Duvall in this film... You are assuming that that is uh, is him again, right? There's, and the way he's been acting, screaming at a typewriter, and then talking about killing her. And yeah, the I mean, boy. In, in fairness to Wendy, I think if I was in this situation and my husband had previously dislocated my son's shoulder because he lost his temper because he was a drunk, and then my husband had a very strange night terror and said he mm. dreamed about killing people, um, mm. including them and their family. You wouldn't tell him, would you? You wouldn't be like, oh, I just had this dream <laughs> well, where no, I absolutely slaughtered you. But he is a bit of a cocky twat. Mm. Um, uh, so you would, I mean, I'm, I'm with Wendy on this. I would assume that Jack had done it. Yeah, I mean... Not some rotting, drowned bath corpse. No, that would be my first thought. That would be immediately, immediately what I would jump to. Says what yours is. Well, I presume isn't it? this um, is not Wendy, some though. sort of well, mouldy bath corpse. Ugh. Jack wanders into the hotel's gold room after this you know, confrontation and meets a ghostly bartender named Lloyd. I like Lloyd. Yeah. Lloyd serves him bourbon whiskey. It looks quite fun, actually. And I, you know, this sort of bar scenario hold is on. kind of what I enjoy about hotels. Sorry, yeah. hold on. You like Lloyd? Yeah. Yeah, why not? All right, fine. Carry on. I mean, you're, you're about to get to why you don't like Lloyd. Hey. Surely. I, I like Lloyd. You know, I need a bartender <laughs> that's going to give me sound advice when I ask <laughs> right. for it and whiskey yes. whenever I need it. And if I say leave the bottle, he better bloody leave that bottle. Not and Lloyd that. would do that. Your so, money is not good enough in this bar. Your money doesn't count here. Yeah. Free booze. Free booze, Winning baby. Uh, that's why mm-hmm. I love Lloyd. Anyway, so alcoholic right. like again. Lloyd serves him bourbon whiskey whilst Jack complains about his marriage, you know. Um, Doesn't he talk about Gaz something like Gaz soon to be his... married over there. Like, this is what I see you as in five years' time, just moaning to bartenders. And then you'll love Lloyd. Uh, Wendy <sighs> later tells Jack that Danny told... Well, John's there already, so you can laugh him a bit. John's already there. I Danny told her that a crazy woman in one of the rooms attempted to strangle him. Jack investigates room 237 and stumbles upon the ghost of a dead, naked, zombie-like woman. Also, is there not a point in your mind, right, and, and this also happens in, in the book in a similar kind of way, where you'd go, oh, yeah, you're well fit. What the fuck are you doing in this hotel? It's just the three of us. It's the middle of winter. How do you get here and why are you in the bath? Well, no, because he... he Ask lo- the questions, man. Well, he's got to ask questions, but he's already been hoodwinked by Lloyd, is not he? This is how he got himself mm, into this problem. Exactly. Um, mm. So after the zombie-like woman Bloody incident, Lloyd. he uh, tells Wendy that he saw nothing. Uh, which you would. And why didn't he say that about the dream earlier? No one knows. Uh, Wendy and Jack argue over whether Danny should be removed from the hotel and a furious Jack returns to the gold room. And so anyone listening, the gold room is obviously the giant ballroom thing where our favourite bartender Lloyd dwells. (laughs) But now it's filled with ghosts attending a ball, which is also, you know, once again, red flag, isn't it, Emma? 
Just a little bit, yeah. And this is all in the book, you know, going to the ballroom and stuff. And also, yeah, no, um, all of this is pretty much there. Like, I mean, it's a big book, so I can't remember everything, but as far mm. as I recall, it's very similar. Also, uh, we'll make you all remember that scene from Ready Player One. Yes, and, and and that, I mean, spoiler warning, for Ready, spoiler yeah. warning for Ready Player One, but uh, there is a reference or heavy referencing to The Shining. And if you've seen that <laughs> yeah, film, <laughs> then um, watch it. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching just for The Shining reference, I promise. And then listen to our podcast on it. So. Yeah. Then, yes, listen to this podcast. Gaz loses a quiz and gets very irate at the end of that one, if I remember correctly. Editing. The beauty of editing. Mm, the yeah. beauty of editing. The lies is... it presents. <laughs> oh, there's the lentatorship. Uh, lentatorship returns. Uh, while attending the ball, a waiter spills a tray of drinks on Jack and offers him offers to take him to the washroom, oh yeah, to clean it off. Yeah, because it's <laughs> Advoca, which stains badly. Apparently. I mean, what just don't fuck? drink that. No. Just what is that about? While in the bathroom... Don't worry, this isn't as bad as it started off. While in the bathroom, the waiter reveals uh, himself to be a ghost of Grady. Um, <laughs> just, you should have just stopped at himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought maybe Emma was going to interject to talk about Dick again. Good old Halloran. After an awkward uh, post-introductory argument about whether Grady was or was not the caretaker of the hotel, and I actually love this scene in general. I just think yeah. it's so creepy. And mm. the guy who plays Grady... Fucking hell, he's great. He yeah, is, who is that? I don't know. I can't remember, but he's great. I'll Emma will do the old looking up as we talk. But Grady tells Jack that he must correct, he says it like that, correct his wife and child, <laughs> and that Danny How's has reached, correct his wife and child, <laughs> and that Danny has reached out to Halloran using his talent. Meanwhile... <laughs> <laughs> Is that a euphemism for dick? Yeah, well, who knows what goes on in this bathroom? (laughs) Um, Just to Um, answer everyone's questions, it is a gentleman called Philip Stone who died, sadly, 16 years uh, ago. He was also in A Clockwork Orange um, and Indiana Jones. Yeah, he's in Clockwork Orange. Temple of Doom. I did not know he's in Temple of Doom. Um, But this is a great scene. The acting between, you know, Jack Nicholson and, you know, our boy Grady is is something to behold. Mm. What I always think about with, with this is... Imagine if you walked in on him in any of these situations. I can't wait for Len to edit this to sound like you're saying that their weird sexual liaison in the toilet <laughs> hey, was beautiful. Kubrick hey, was what a is happening in here? <laughs> he was a master of deception. I reckon there's a lot that's said behind, you know, the screen here that we just didn't see. So make of that one. <laughs> in one will. of the cubicles. He's very um, persuasive, was our Grady. So. But, 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 you know, like, imagine you're walking in and he's pretending to have a, have a, have a whiskey at the bar and there's nobody in there it's all like dusty and it, it, like remember Len we did um, Haunting, Haunting of Hill, Hill House, House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know the characters are imagining um, the house looking totally different as they walk through it but in reality they're on their own mm. in this creepy abandoned yeah. house that's full of dust and Cobwebs decay and decay yeah. and, that's, and that's, that's what's happening that's kind of what Jack. makes it so fucking creepy as well isn't it is, is imagining what is really going on here yeah. one of the things that you get in the book a lot more than you get in the film is the idea that jack is losing it um and none of this is actually happening so you have to imagine this being there um when you're reading it obviously because it's not on mm. telly yes um and, and i think you get that a little bit more 
in the book than you do in the film that really he's just sitting there pretending to drink bourbon and losing his fucking mind and that's the terrifying thing and the terrifying thing for you Emma is the fact that there's no bourbon actually there (laughs) well that is really fucking sad for everyone isn't it yeah nightmare (laughs) I feel very emotional (laughs) now oh good Um, but that kind of comes back to something that I was going to mention earlier about the um, I suppose the the physical nature of the character of the Overlook Hotel so I think something you don't feel as much in the film as you do in the book is that the the Overlook Hotel has quite a significant power and it is an entity in itself. Yeah. So it's kind of like a collector of spirits and memories and horrible zombies naked lost yeah, lost souls. Mm. Um and and that is much, much more enforced in the novel than it is in, in the film, I, from my opinion. It's like the the song Hotel California by the Eagles, you know, it just yeah. you know once you're there very you rarely do you leave. leave. Very much ah. so. Halloran, back to your boy Dick, or back to Dick, as I should say, uh, he grows uh, concerned about what's going on at the hotel and flies to Colorado. So this is obviously to do with the shine. because Well, in you don't really get this in the film, do you? Because no. in the book, Danny calls to him yes. from the Overlook Hotel, which mm. is insanely powerful. Yes. And, and Dick is like, he's shaking all over the shop. Ooh, that there is a scene in the film where this happens. Right. There is a scene yeah. in the film where this happens. It's just very short and sort of. No, he's he's sitting there watching TV. Yeah, he's sitting there relaxing, watching watching the news, and then he starts like absolutely shitting himself. Ruined his holiday. Correct. Bloody ru- cor- cor- correct. correct. Ruined his holiday. Before we talk about this next scene, I just want to say uh, that the use of music during this scene is one of the most unsettling moments in the film. And for me, the way the score elevates after this crucial scene, um, pretty much the rest of the film, apart from one or two scenes where it's quite dead in terms of audio, is excellent. So here's a bit of that music now. While searching for Jack, Wendy discovers he has been typing pages of a very repetitive manuscript. This is what it says. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Nonsense. Well, it's just not happening in the book. It is. It, Emma's not happy. She's, you know, she's. No. Shouting. Why do people? Why do book readers get so passionately? Mm angry about this oh i What's don't care problem? i'm just trying to make my fans like me yeah. my one fan like me by yeah. sticking up for the uh-huh. book um i actually think it works really well and i think the, the fact that it is it, so iconic but it is that thing that makes you go oh my god what the hell has been going on here he's completely lost the plot i mean i think well, it's an excellent scene because it it's so slowly developed the way that she enters the room the approaching the typewriter and then the eventual reveal that he's just written that over and over again and uh, you know the interesting thing about this is a, there's a strong rumour that's never been confirmed which is that Stanley Kubrick physically typed all of yeah. those pages himself uh, because he didn't never he never asked the prop department to do it it was his own typewriter and they said there was something like 400 pages worth or something crazy like that did they know it was going to happen before it happened or was that yeah, to no, give he, everyone the shock he, he planned 
this scene. Yeah, I mean, he knew that. Yeah, he knew it. No, no. That's great. He didn't tell the art department. So the strong rumour is that he physically wrote them himself, which would have obviously made him go slightly mad. Do you you want another little fact? Go on, fact town. I've got an interesting section about facts later. But we can just oh. you know roll some in here. Why not? Let's be. I imagine this won't be easy. in there, but in um, in like foreign language versions of the film. Yes, that is in there. But go on, you can take oh, it. Is it. They've go got on, different translations. This, so. Wow me. So in so they've got different translations of this. Yeah. So all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is is only in the the English version of yeah. the film. In the German, they say. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Oh, yeah. Fucking hell. Right? In the Spanish, they go, although one will rise early, it won't dawn sooner. And <laughs> that Italian. Like Japanese. You sound Japanese. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, it's five. It's five thirty in the morning. I haven't got my. You my are a hero, I guess. No excuses. In Italian, he who wakes up early meets a golden day. I like, I like that, that one. one. That was a really nice one, actually. Yeah, and good accent. Early bird well catches I the worm. I thought that's what you were talking about. Um, yeah. Very I, good. I like so that that's fact. yeah, stolen one about. of my facts, but we'll we'll move on. She begs Jack to leave the hotel with Danny, but he threatens her before she knocks him unconscious with a baseball bat. Yeah. Go on, Wendy. Love, love, love this interaction. I also love the Treehouse of Horror episode with Marge and Homer, which I'm going to insert oh, yeah. now. No TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! Stay away from me, Homer! Give me the bat, Marge! Give me the bat. Give me the bat. Come on. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. Ha ha ha. Very good. Very, very good. She drags him into the kitchen and locks him in the pantry. But she and Danny are both trapped at the hotel. Jack has disabled the hotel's two-way radio and the snowcat. There's no escape. And the snow at this point is ridiculous. Okay. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's not like something I've never seen before. It's can like you a imagine, proper blizzard. Can you imagine being isolated on oh, top of a mountain? Oh, it terrifies me. On a hotel built on an ancient burial ground where the last caretaker butchered his fucking family and mm. then it's so snowy that you can't see and the roads are closed. Yeah, I like, mean... And... The fuck? And yeah. there's no alcohol in there. I know, oh, even my worse. God. It's a dry hotel. I would probably just run off into the woods. Yeah. I mean, I, I am visualising John chasing us with an axe at the moment. And, Ooh. you know, I think oh. as Van Quinkle well, evolves over the coming years we, and we break some milestones, I, I easily see him. He's looking more haggard these days. I've said it for a while, yeah. guys. You've got to watch out for him. Okay? When we go on our um, on our annual Van Critical retreat, yes. um, let's I'm just make sure that. that we We're don't... We're not going to the Overlook Hotel. Go to the Overlook. If we go on a retreat, I expect to be in a... Out in the middle of a city somewhere with security cameras, not in some fucking hut in the middle of nowhere, because it's likely that I will probably kill all of you or die. Excellent news. So that's, if you don't hear from us again, that's what's happened. Later, and this is a bit weird, Jack converses through the pantry door with Grady, our really good mate. Uh, not Lloyd, of course. You know, we really like Lloyd. Grady's a bit mad, but he's a good actor. Who unlocks the door? So. Yeah, I mean, nonsense, that, isn't it? Because he's, he's not real. He's not real. Um, but the hotel has a mind of its own. Doesn't it? Well, and this is the thing. And this so, is, is it actually Grady or is it the hotel communicating with him? 
well, see, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is that you will assume that having seen it over and over and over again. Would you have assumed it the first time? I don't know if it's that obvious in the film. I'm not uh, slacking I, it off. I, I, I love think it. without my prior knowledge and sort of rough remembrance of the book, I honestly do not think that the film gets across that the Overlook Hotel is the mm. sort of thing here. I think they don't even make a lot about the Native American sort of fact that it's built on that burial ground too much. and They don't no, mention and, it a lot of times. And actually, as much as that is important, I think it's more that they just don't, push across the fact that the Overlook Hotel has autonomy in its own way. But I think it is interesting the fact that I've always thought on subsequent watches whenever I've watched this film that my interpretation is that the that Grady isn't actually Grady and it's the hotel and Grady is just a trapped soul mm. in the hotel. I don't think that... I think it's all just the hotel. Well, the hotel is manifesting itself in... Exactly. I in think the, it in the uses visuals of the, the memories. Exactly. It's yeah. using the memories, it's using the people to communicate with other souls and then trap them in the hotel and make them murder people. I've got to say that you've got to love Wendy at this point. Like she's she's got a bit badass because Shelley Duvall, as much as she plays it really really well, um, Wendy in the book is a lot more ballsy oh, the I, whole way through. Yeah, and like Shelley Duvall at one point she's a cowering mess. She's a cowering mess in this yeah. film, and I love she's, it. Yeah, I mean she's fabulous and it works, but in the book she's very different. I mean she and gets blonde. a lot. She gets a lot of stick, but I have to say. I love it every time I watch it. She's very passive, but and and she she's a unique looking lady as well. Mm, um, like Emma. Which, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, I can I mean, she could she could she could swing the bat with a little more gumption you know, and uh like, you know swing swing away wendy swing away and if you do like away. m night Shyamalan, uh <laughs> do go check out <laughs> our glass podcast another shameless oh, plug that we released this i week. think that's god i think that's also a quote from uh from hook isn't it <laughs> maybe i think it worked better in signs but Wait, we'll when are we it. doing the podcast on hook i mean that would be a great oh, we should do that soon. at christmas so yeah we should uh, definitely Danny writes red rum, red rum, red rum, on the outside of the bathroom door and begins to repeatedly call red rum, red rum, alarming Wendy. And if, I mean, alarming Wendy's, you know, that's a bit weak. It would be terrifying if my child, I don't have a child. And if I did have one and they started doing this. Wouldn't have one anymore. This is, this is why you don't have, this is why people don't have children. Because my mm, biggest fear in life they do is stuff like this. possessed or like murderous children. Mm. That that is the thing I cannot cope with. Yeah, and you've got to give this kid credit. Fuck children me. of the corn. He's Are we doing children scared. of the corn? By the oh, way, no, I'm never doing oh, that. Ooh, ever, scary. Ooh. No, no, no. Ooh, scary one. That he's amazing though, mm. and he plays it so well. Yeah, and of course, he's terrifying. He is terrifying, but you know, of course, when Wendy sees the word reversed in the bathroom mirror, uh, the word is revealed to be murder. Um, which makes much more sense because, you know, Red Rum's a very famous horse here in England. Um, yeah. yeah, so you know, we were all very confused. a big confused. racing fan. Won the Grand National three really times, so probably the most famous horse ever. Uh, thrice, I think. Thrice, said here yes, in is what you say in the horse riding terminology. Um, Jack now begins hacking through the quarters main door with a firefighter's axe. No! Um, this is truly terrifying now, and this is when the score starts to elevate and the film descends into chaos essentially. Wendy sends Danny through the bathroom window and luckily and very conveniently there's a mountain of snow there, which I think was actually salt when they uh, made the film. It wasn't Ooh, actually snow. Could I imagine if you got that in a cup? Yeah, exactly. So don't cut yourself or don't be a slug as well because you would not enjoy yeah. that slide down there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, um... <laughs> That's what you've got to be wary of. 
<laughs> big slug. Kubrick, Kubrick put out a big announcement. He was like, yeah. right, any slugs, just be very Get careful. Any cuts or slugs should probably leave set. <laughs> oh, what? My pet slug is gone. He's dissolved. John, you got to get off set, mate. Anyway. Um... In the book, it's not an axe. It is a rock mallet, which is a bit like a croquet mallet. Exactly. Yes, it is. Less it is terrifying. Less terrifying Terrifying, and a great decision to, you know, swap it out oh, for, yeah. the, for the fireman's. I mean, it's iconic, isn't fireman's it? Fireman's axe. And referencing Jackie Torrance again in, in um, Castle Rock, uh, the series Castle Rock, which is obviously what we mainly cover before this Stephen King retrospective. She was an expert on axes and obviously that tied into yeah. her actually being related to Jack Torrance. Here's being, Jackie. Exactly, here's Jackie. Um, Jack breaks through the bathroom door shouting, Here's Johnny! But retreats after Wendy slashes her hand with a butcher's knife, or slashes his hand, sorry, with a butcher's knife. But it's not the actual reason he retreats, is it? It's because he hears the snow cat approaching. Mm-hmm. Dick's back. Yeah. The dick, return of the, the dick. The return of the dick. Uh, arriving in his snow cat, um, Jack leaves the room. He murders Dick as Dick's wandering through the halls with an axe in the lobby and pursues Danny into the hedge maze. Right, I'm, I'm coming in now. Ooh, I'm coming in to talk about Dick. Coming in hot. Um, or hard, either one. Can we talk about The Shining first before you so, start doing this? Oh, Dick. Um, so Dick doesn't die in the book. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning for the book. Yay, Dick. Um, And and his arrival is less just appearing and then dying. You know, he does get beaten to shit and things don't go very well for him, but he doesn't die. And Mm. he's quite important in the sequel to The Shining. Doctor Doctor Sleep, Sleep, which which is coming out later this year. And I would absolutely recommend reading the book. Uh, It is also very good. And the director of Haunting of Hill House is directing Doctor Sleep, which is an excellent decision. Mike Vanagon. So that is going to be brilliant stuff. And I think it's a shame that Dick wasn't used more in this film. Mm. It sounds like I want it to be a porno. It's a shame that Halloran... I think this is a time to mention one of John's favourite scenes because he's not here. And in honour of John, his favourite scene involves Dick of the actual biological sort, uh, which is the pig man sort of rising up after seemingly giving oh, oral yeah. sex to some other animal man or yeah, woman. Yeah, that's that is that's that is That's creepy. the thing though. That People is like creepy. I mean that that scene Not me. where you see that, you know, pig like creature just look and the music goes yeah. like that. I mean that is terrifying. Can you imagine terrifying. this film without the score? Just no music. I mean, can I think the score like? is fantastic. Oh, yeah, my point being, it's amazing. But yeah. without it, can you imagine how weird it would be? Oh, it would be bizarre, wouldn't it? But it's like just it. it's Ooh. just such a special combination of everything, this film, I think. And, you know, so John's favourite scene got a mention and that's yeah, very good. You'd, you'd really appreciate that. I've got one more thing before we move on. Um, so you talked about the hedge maze. Mm. Um, lovely maze. Well very done. lovely. Um, it, I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist in the book. But what does exist is a lot of topiary animals. So like big, like big cats that are made out of bushes and oh, I love stuff. that I love a bit of gardening oh. sort of yeah. sculptures but they, they come to life and they chase Danny around the gardens at a lot of points in the novel and it's very scary well they're fake though as in like it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's his mind playing tricks on him what is it though I don't know or it's the hotel playing tricks on him whatever it is it's fucking terrifying well there you, you go being chased mm. by a giant well, that's scary yes. bushy cat giant bush cat bush cat yeah bush cat uh, there you go Wendy ah. runs through the hotel looking for Danny encountering ghosts pig ghosts uh, and the cascade of blood uh, finally you know comes out of the elevator and that is obviously a very 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 famous image and one of the most stark images I can think of in cinema um, so absolutely love it the use of colour the mm. use of, of just it's just it's just a beautiful and horrific shot at the same time and something that mm. is so iconic iconic 
AF. Wendy finds Halloran or Dick, Dickie Boy dead in the lobby. Obviously, we said he's not dead in the book, but uh, it's quite brutal. It was quite an axe to the chest, wasn't it? Pretty rough, isn't it? Pretty rough. Is the swing like from? Oh, it's a proper like, swing. That oh. is. I'd sort of looked away and I came back just at that moment and was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. Because I've forgotten that happens because I've just read the book. Exactly. I'm expecting Dickie Boy to survive. Now, this is where I didn't know Danny had this in him. I mean, did any of you think Danny had this in him? I didn't think he had it in him. And it's also, you know, an homage to a scene at the end of the in season one of Castle Rock, episode 10, where we see the same thing done by our young boy, Henry which is uh, Danny lays a false trail of footsteps where he backtracks to mislead Mm. Jack in the maze. Now, I didn't think he had it in him. I didn't didn't see this with Danny because I just saw Danny as a sort of, you know, wandering around confused boy, not really understanding these powers. I didn't think he had this sort of intellectual prowess because I was like, Jesus, that's a really good idea. Mm. No, he he seems like he's he's just sort of blundering through Mm. life so far. Mm. His his first six years or whatever he's had. And he's... um, but instead, he's actually he's switched on. He's got the makings of a future fur trapper. Well, in you know, he's in Doctor Sleep, so. Well, it's interesting because in the book he's a couple of years younger. I think in the film he's like seven. In the book he's about yeah. five. But he's an incredibly smart kid in the book, almost like on the spectrum, he's smart. Right. Well, that would make sense with Tony his ability and, and this and yeah, mm. his abilities and stuff. Whereas in in the film, I felt like he, they made him out to be a bit dim. Yeah. I mean, I know he's a kid, and the kid plays it amazingly. Like, it's, yes. it's incredible for a role at that age to do that. Yeah, it's only it's his only film, wasn't it? Well, he he tried. I think so. I mean, he tried to get into TV after this because he was so young when he made this shining. film, and he had a couple of TV roles, but then he gave up because he said mm. it was too difficult. Like his family gave up, or his parents gave up putting him up for roles and stuff like that. So he actually never was an actor ever again after this. Well, do you know if you can say the only acting role I ever mm-hmm. had was yeah. Danny Torrance in The Shining. Yeah, know, I mean, it's famous for kid actors to actually never really fulfil their potential. You know, I'm thinking no. Haley Joel Osment for one. Look at Matilda. Where's she now? But, but in the book, um, it, Danny does a very similar thing. But what he does is he um, he kind of tricks Jack down into the basement where for the last kind of six chapters or whatever, the boiler has been about to overheat and explode. Yeah, boiler room again. Um, so he, he he tricks him down into the boiler room, traps him there. But at the same time, you get the impression in the book that Jack is being, uh, he's trying to help save Danny and Wendy by sacrificing himself to the Overlook. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. That's and then, an interesting idea, isn't it? I think Kubrick wasn't going for that. I think he's going for the straight up madman. Yeah. And I, you know, I get why. I totally um, get why, because it's more horrific. The idea that that the man is gone and, and he is completely lost. Whereas, you know, the idea that there's a semblance of him still in there and he's sacrificing himself is nowhere near as horrific. Very small. Yeah. Um, but then the whole hotel blows up. And Go that, bye the, bye end, bye. the end of the Overlook. Yep, Overlook over. Overlook, overlook out. Over. Um, so it's a bit different in the film, obviously, because Danny escapes the maze, reunites with Wendy, and as they escape in Dickie Boy's snowcat, uh, Jack freezes to death in the snow and we get one of, Another one of the most iconic shots in cinema history, which is the end of the film and that amazing jump cut mm-hmm. um, from night to day, still image of, well, a still image is in the camera doesn't move, of Jack just being frozen in the snow. And it's still, you know, it's a, it's a horrific image and it's a great way to end the film, in my opinion. I mean, you've got to say that Jack Nicholson 
is just the most insane and insanely talented man. Yeah. That shot now kind of reminds me of um, Leo in The Revenant a bit, you know. Yeah. Maybe he just watched that and just took a bit of inspiration from Jackie Boy. Oh, I thought you were saying Jack Nicholson just watched The Revenant. Uh, Time traveller as well as a talented actor. Magical. In a, in a photograph in the, in the hotel hallway, Jack Torrance smiles front and centre amid a crowd of party revellers at the Overlook's July 4th ball titled 1921. So obviously just, you know, implying the fact that he has become another lost soul in the Overlook's, you know, top trump cards. What do you guys think about that? Well, I always used to think that it was that he was actually, he's actually there and he's some sort of hotel ghost that's been sent out to the, the, the world. Yes. When, when, I, when I watched it when I was younger, I completely thought that. I think it is a bit mixed bit mixed messaging because it never really sort of that hotel vibe didn't come across as his own character and we said that um mm. but now i don't take it like that at all i just take it flat as he's been absorbed into this you know cacophony of lost souls in in the hotel yeah it's interesting because like gaz actually i can imagine the first time you've watched this if you don't know anything about the story you probably do just think that um because it all, could all just be nonsense couldn't it um and i it was weird because i'd forgotten about that bit of it until I rewatched it, and then I was like, "Hold on, this, how does this tally in with the book?" And I can't really remember. I'm pretty sure there's a painting, or there's something. I don't think it's a photograph, but there's a painting, and there's some kind of hint that it, you know, it features Jack Torrance, mm. um, but nothing quite so overt. So it surprised me a little bit. Yeah, and Len, I'm with you on, you know, after a few watchings and a reading of the book, like it's clearly the the Overlook has just absorbed him. But yes, obviously, at the like end of the book, the blob. it's gone. Ugh. Terrible film, but you know, classic. Well, in a way. The, see, the only, the only, the only thing there though is that if that was the case, I mean, I don't really doubt that that's the case, but wouldn't have it have been a little less confusing if they didn't have a date on that? Yeah, I think the date's meant to be there though, just to show. I don't think it's there for confusion. I think it's there to show us that he, he's, he's, you know, he's always been a part of the hotel. Do you know what I mean? But like in a sort of spiritual sort of way, like he was always meant to be there, but that was his destiny kind of thing. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think they're going for the literal, he was there in 1921. He was always going to lose his mind. He was always unhinged. He was always going to be, you know, a key player in this. fate. Yeah. And it's horrendous that way, you know, but uh, that's, that's my reading of it anyway. And uh, that's the end of The Shining, which I think we all agree is... Easily one of the best Stephen King adaptations, not in terms of a direct adaptation, but in terms of the critical acclaim that it mm. got. And I mean, it didn't do very well at the time, I don't think. But in retrospect, it's an extremely affecting film. I don't film. think it did badly. No, I don't think it did very well, we, though. We we loved it. But let me tell you, Heartless GG didn't love it. Oh, so this is the new segment that we've sort of been doing. And we haven't got theme music yet, but it's um, Gareth's Reviews, where every week we'll be... Uh, spotlighting a couple of crazy reviewers from the internet and uh, getting their thoughts <laughs> and then comparing it to our own uh, wow. our own reviews. Uh, we've had some good Hold ones. On. The one on glass was very good. Let's go for this one. All right now, you say you say we're looking for crazy reviewers, but I think Heartless GG speaks a lot of sense here. Um, first of all, one star out of ten. I don't recognise that as what? a review system. Uh, sure we only recognise blueberries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Heartless GG says, 
I searched the top 10 horror movie on IMDb. Oh, sorry, actually, title of the review is It's Not a Horror Movie, It's a Movie About a Crazy Guy. Right. So, okay. Um, I searched the top 10 horror movie on IMDb and found out this is one of them. Right. So, from the sounds of it, sounds like they haven't heard of The Shining, which is weird. Mm. So I watched it, but then I realised the movie It's Not Horror just made me feel like that's disgusting. First, Jake saw a naked ghost and he was so happy. That's not Jake. right. He <laughs> is Jake. married. Yeah, but he said Jake. GG, not Gaz. GG saying Jake. Yeah. Heartless GG said Jake. I'll, I'll read that sentence again because you, you missed the best bit. Okay. For, <laughs> right. So, yes. First, Jake saw a naked ghost and he was so happy. That's not right. He is married. <laughs> I mean, I mean he's got okay. a point. He's got a point. To be fair, not I mean, incorrect. Where is his head at? Good, good issues, Gigi. I like that. Let's go. Is there more? And of course there is. And how come he acted like nothing happened? He said he will do anything for the son, but he just let those ghosts control him and hurt his son and wife. <laughs> yeah, good. And point. then the rest of the movie, just a crazy guy, how to kill his wife. He is just crazy, people. I don't understand why people think this movie is great. Because Jake is crazy? I think watch this movie is an awful experience. Oh, Gigi. So, and you as we mentioned, we have been interviewing. Gigi is in the running uh, to be a new critical, <laughs> fan critical Whee! member, Castle Rock critical mm. member. Um, Gigi, you have made it past the um, application phase. You are now into the interview phase. So if you could let us know... <laughs> Your availability. More, and your availability, that would be yeah. excellent. Well, thank you for that, Gareth. And that was your review of the week. Um, thank I love you very review much. of the week. It's the and first time I'm getting to experience it. Yeah, well, yeah. well good. Listen to our other podcasts. Listen then, to the I'm podcast not listening to until I've watched the content, am I? Because then it'll spoil it for myself. Absolute hack. Anyway, um, I thought we'd finish up with some interesting facts about The Shining for people who obviously know the film very well, but didn't know some of the, you know, discrepancies was going on behind the scenes uh, with this film because it has a lot of fun facts so according to one of kubrick's biographers david hughes king wrote an entire draft screenplay for the shining and kubrick didn't even glance at it i mean to be fair that's pretty fucking harsh man that is harsh isn't it but kubrick apparently had his um sort of vision for it and it did not involve much of stephen king so this is the start of their um, sort of anger towards each other. Um, in 1983, King told Playboy this. I'd admired Kubrick for a long time and had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed in the end result. Parts of the film were chilling, charged, and it's a relentlessly claustrophobic horror, uh, terror, but other moments fell flat. And he also didn't like the, the casting of Jack Nicholson, claiming Jack Nicholson, though a fine actor, was all wrong for the part. Um, he just felt that he just felt that he wasn't right for the part at all. Which I, obviously, he's very he he knows best because he wrote The Shining. But I don't think anyone can look at that film and say that if you take the film as a standalone thing that he wasn't excellent. No, and I mean this is. I don't think it is a good sign for King when mm. the, this film that is 
absolutely fantastic is the one that he has a problem with. Like yeah. he's happy with how the mist turned out, and he thinks the stand is an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> but he loves the stand. The he fucking loves the stand. I don't. It's madness. And if you're listening, Stephen, we love you, but let's you know. We we do. And look, he he's a good writer, but maybe he doesn't know how things should convert to the big screen. I all also... I'm going to say before... Sorry, Em. All I'm going to say is he did the screenplay for Pet Cemetery, and we all know my thoughts on that. It's a great film. Five out of five blueberries. Fucking hilarious. Yeah. He should be a comedy writer. He is a comedy writer. Have at, you never read his at, books? At times. Um, no, Stephen, I, I love you. Um, but can you imagine if you'd spent... I mean, this book is huge as It's well. huge, it is It's huge. massive, and it's like, it's one of his masterpieces. It is probably his masterpiece, and then they say. Kubrick comes along and makes an absolute banger out of this, but mm. totally fucks off the original story... In, in parts. In, in parts, and, you know, and, and I understand, like, you know, talking about some stuff that you'll probably talk about in a bit in terms of casting, learning, and stuff like that, and, but the storyline itself, some of the things that changed, I think were really... That's what really irked King, and I, and I get that. Well, he says... But it is still a brilliant film. He does say, if the guy is nuts to begin with, then the entire tragedy of his downfall is wasted. And and that was his major gripe with the film, is that we said that the descent into madness is actually mm. the, the key of the film. And he feels that he was already... And we've said it, that he was already mad, to an extent, at the start of the film. But Jack Nicholson is nuts. Yeah, I mean, so method. You watch that guy's rehearsals, it's insane. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> although... Kubrick had a very good relationship with Nicholson. Apparently, he was actually quite mean to uh, poor old Shelley Duvall. Poor Shelley. Um, this is her words. Uh, from May until October, I was in a really in and out of ill health because of the stress of the role was so great. Stanley pushed me and prodded me further than I've ever been pushed before. It's the most difficult role I've ever had to play. Um, and the the bat scene apparently is the one that she's alluding to. The scene made it into the Guinness Book of World Records because it took 127 takes. Oh the most God. for a scene with spoken dialogue. I didn't know that. That's insane. That is insane. Can you, I mean, like... The amount of film and at the time the cost of just man hours to do 127 takes of that scene. Not if that, I'm thinking physically for Shelley oh, like she's, she's smaller than me. Like she's a petite woman. That's so hard work. That's hard work. It's physically gruelling, that poor love. And you can understand Shelley. why she seems so sort of crazed and, you know, you know, like, broken in the film, which kind of works. Maybe that was Kubrick's <laughs> way of getting through to her and really getting a true performance, like, you know, Half. breaking her down in real life. You know, he was very... You know, Kubrick was a was a, was a slightly mad director. You know, some of the films that he's done are uh, not exactly. Yeah, I mean, has anyone seen The Clockwork Orange? Exactly, he's not. Brilliant. He's not. You know, and that's why his films sometimes are so revolutionary and so brilliant because he did things differently. And they're also very hit or miss. You either love The Shining or you don't love The yeah, Shining. Yeah, and it's the same with a lot of his films. Full Metal Jacket, you know. Space Odyssey. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. You know, <laughs> we can keep going with yeah, some of these other films. They're very hit and miss, aren't they? Hundred percent. Um, so this is this is one of my favourite theories about the film, by the way. <clears throat> and I think we're going to know what we're talking about when I talk about it. Uh, so many film theorists have their own takes on The Shining. Um, and there's a lot that about conspiracies. Uh, my favourite one uh, in the documentary Room 237 is the one that Kubrick actually helped fake the moon landing. And The Shining is his confession. Right, hold on, how... Somebody here explain to me how The Shining is a confession to faking the fucking moon landing. Well, what I want to say to you right now is watch documentary. You need to watch documentary room 237. I have watched it. it I have watched it. I'm not going to explain it to you. Watch it 
And I mean, there's little things like Danny's jumper has a rocket on it. And, oh, you know, as he's starting to, honestly, there's so many little things Ugh. that they think that, you know, anyway, I love that one, Gareth. That's my favorite. Is that your favorite? That's that's fantastic. And I mean, now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, of course, of course it is. Yes. I mean, I'm a convert. I just want to go around the room right now and see, does anyone here actually think the moon land landing was fake? Start with you, Gareth. I mean, well, of course it, of course it was fake. <laughs> I know you're just trying to wind me up. But uh, Emma, what about you? I'm what you might call agnostic. Oh, my God. No, I'm joking. Of course it was a fucking fake. We've been to the moon. Fucking fake. Jesus Christ. We've all seen that flag blowing in the wind that doesn't exist on the moon. Yeah, of course. Classic. And Kubrick was the one with the fan just behind the flag going, hi, Armstrong, just a couple more steps, mate. Do you know know what's, what's funny about that is that it was actually, and this sounds mental, but it is true, it was harder um, to fake... A moon landing at the time the technology didn't exist for yeah. that kind of slow motion footage exactly. to, to be filmed it it's was harder to fake the moon landing than to send somebody to the moon so, um, that's what i'm saying so honestly though uh, it is an interesting doc- sure. it's an interesting documentary room 237 check it out if you get a chance um it was talked about a couple of years ago it is actually very good and it does go into a lot of kubrick stuff and sort of the way he works which is also very interesting it, quite a fascinating guy actually very fascinating 100% i will give that a watch where can we watch that then? i have no idea but check netflix out that's always a good one <laughs> Brilliant. If not amazon and they're not our sponsors so one day they will not be not yet not yet um so that's it guys i think that'll do us for the shining obviously an all-time classic all that left to announce is what we'll be covering in the next two to three weeks time but most importantly we want your feedback um we want your feedback on the shining let us know your thoughts and we'll put it into the next podcast and we also want your feedback about the next film that we'll be covering and it is another classic another one of gareth's favorite ever films one of our all-time favorite films to be honest with you that everyone has seen so we just want to know your thoughts on it And we want to know if you've read the book or anything like that. Just let us know. You can email us at fancriticalpodcast. And that film that we'll be covering is The Shawshank Redemption. Woo! Yay! That's in my top five films of all time. Exactly. It's in a lot of people's top five films. And that never moves. It's always number three. Always number three, never never higher, never lower. So, yep, that's the one we're going to be covering. And to be honest with you, I'm very excited to have another good film off the back of this. My worry is that there's going to be a lot of bad ones that we need to catch up on after it. However... Don't mm-hmm. worry, because they're the fun ones to talk about. But so, yes, please do let us know your thoughts on Shawshank Redemption. Obviously, everyone has seen that film. And if you haven't seen that film, please, I implore you, go watch it. You will absolutely love it. Um, and that's it. Aww. That's it, guys. That's it for another for another week, for another time. Um, but we're planning a lot of great content for you guys this year, not only to do with Castle Rock, uh, but please do follow us on our main podcast channel. And that is Fan Critical. That is sort of our umbrella uh, sort of, you know, corporation, parent. our parent, parent yes, where all of the little podcasts that we father and mother go out <laughs> into the world. So just search Fan Critical on any podcast app, and I guarantee that on that channel there is something that you like. We cover everything, like we're doing the Oscars next week. We're, the Walking Dead starts again. We've yeah. got our Game of Thrones coverage starting soon. We just covered Glass. We just covered Bird Box and Bandersnatch, the new Black Mirror thing, the Choose Your Own Adventure. So. There's something on there for everyone. So definitely check it out if you can. And we would really appreciate your support on that channel. Um, And there's some exciting announcements to be made in the next few weeks, maybe on the Oscars podcast, 
we'll be able to make some exciting announcements for you all. But I want to say thanks to Em. Thanks, guys. Good night. Thank you, Gareth. A little Danny, Danny Torrance. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Emma. I'm gonna well go done. speak. I'm gonna go speak to Lloyd, and he's gonna pour me a new whiskey, mm. and that's yeah. that's the Sleep end the of that. Night. Anyway, just leave your axe. Leave your axe in the cupboard. <laughs> leave your axe at the door. Grady's got the advocate. Lloyd's got the bourbon. Let's have a good one. See you later, guys. See you later.